then uh, put that to practice. We have been working through uh, major questions as well. We've walked through several different questions, and one of the questions that we would uh, we began with is why do we make disciples? And we said so that the Lamb of God receives the reward of His suffering. And then we uh, work through a couple other questions that I'll get to in a little bit. But I want us to um, think about um, mile markers and, and signals of God. In Acts chapter 2, we have a pretty big signal that something big is going to happen. I'm told that, and I haven't been there, but I'm told that on top of the, uh, the observatory uh, in London, Royal Observatory, excuse me, in Greenwich in London, there's a large red ball. I can see it there in the picture, I hope. And it's one of the world's earliest public time signals. It enabled people to set their watches, which was very important for ships leaving sail from London in the world. It was first used in 1833, and they still operate today. And every day at 12.55, that time ball rises halfway up the mast there. And at 12.58, it rises all the way to the top. And at 1 o'clock, precisely, on the button, that ball falls. Kind of like the ball in Times Square there. And it provides a time signal to everybody who happens to be looking at It's 1 o'clock now. <clears throat> then, there's, um, then there's Edinburgh Castle. And maybe, Mrs. Wiley, have you been there? Yeah. Edinburgh Castle in the UK, where they've been firing the 1 o'clock gun since 1861. And originally they did it for shipping. So... so um, uh, boats would know when to leave. And in Acts chapter 2, what we see here happen, uh, that, that first Pentecost is like a, a time signal. It's a clear signal from God Himself what time it is in His plan in history. Now there's mile markers in God's Word along the way of developments, major mile markers of what God has done. This is one of them. And uh, Jason didn't read the earlier verses, but if you saw it in chapter uh, in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through uh, 13, there were three amazing things that happened that day. Three supernatural, very out-of-the-ordinary things. In verse 2, there is, first of all, an amazing noise. An amazing noise. Uh, a noise that seemed to fill the whole house where, where Jesus' disciples were gathered praying. A noise that was so loud that people started to run to find out what was going. And pretty soon there was a huge crowd that had gathered. Then there is, in verse 3, an amazing sight. There were tongues of fire that appeared to them, it says in verse 3. Something that looked like fire, tongues of fire that spread out and touched the people there. And then thirdly, in verse 4, there was an amazing power. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages. The ability to speak uh, in other languages. How many of you have ever learned a language um, or tried to learn a language uh, at some time in, in high school or college or maybe even earlier? Okay, um, <clears throat> how long did it take you? <laughs> Some of us are still learning English, right? Um, it's not easy, is it? And it takes a long time to learn to speak another language. But on that day, those disciples didn't go to school. They were given an amazing power to speak in sorts of different languages immediately right there and then. And the, and the people that were uh, uh, heard them heard, the, heard their speaking in their own language. And that's what happened on that day that God poured out His Holy Spirit on Jesus' disciples. Three amazing things that were out of the ordinary. Big, big, uh, a big, big mile marker here. Three things that haven't happened <clears throat> uh, before in that way. Three things so amazing that Luke can only tell us what they were like. You see, the noise wasn't a strong wind, but it sounded like a strong wind. And the sight wasn't actually a burning fire, but it looked like tongues of fire. 
And even that power certainly wasn't ordinary. They weren't speaking their ordinary everyday language, but another language. And so to explain this mile marker here, this sign, this time signal, the Apostle Peter uh, points the astonished crowd there to a prophet Joel in the Old Testament. The crowd in verse 12, they're amazed, they're perplexed, they're saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? And Peter uses the Word of God to help them understand what this moment in history meant. And he says in verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is that. What you're seeing and hearing is just what God promised through the prophet Joel. See, in Joel's day, when he writes the, 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 um, the book of Joel in your Old Testament there, it's a little short book, the, there had been an unprecedented disaster. There was a natural and an environmental disaster in his day. There were three consecutive locust swarms that had wiped out all the crops. And if you're in an agricultural society, you understand how serious that was. They, they didn't have ships coming in from, from China with loads of grain. Okay? It was a very uh, uh, devastating tragedy. And God says, this is the significance of that disaster, and this is what it's pointing to. It was a warning shot fired across the bow here of Israel. Uh, it, was, it was a warning shot of judgment to come. But he says before that judgment to come, that day of the Lord, he promises a couple things. Kind of like that ball coming down here. He promises a, 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 a couple things. The day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. But before it comes, before God judges a, 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 a full judgment on sin, before it comes, in His amazing love, the Lord promises to reveal Himself and to rescue he promises to reveal himself and to rescue. So he says, this is, this is what you're seeing here. These three amazing things. What you're seeing in the first few verses of Acts 2 is a time signal that God has promised all along through Joel. <clears throat> um, Dennis, you probably clue into this better than a lot of us here because you're so familiar with sailing. But some of you might have a little um, knowledge of sailing. But it's kind of like, a bit, uh, it's kind of like the start to a sailing race. Um, with a sailing race, there is a countdown that is signaled by the raising and lowering of flags. And, and nautical flags all have certain meanings and certain, certain codes that they're, they're sending off here. So ten minutes before the race, they have the Q flag raised. And that's a solid yellow flag. That's, that's letting you know that the, that, the, that the starting procedure has begun. Then five minutes beforehand, they have flags called the, the class flags, the number flags that are raised. And uh, that's, that's one of them. There's, there's, there's different, different kinds out there. Then four minutes before the race begins, they have what's called the Blue Peter flag. The Blue Peter flag. And, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a white square and a blue background there, as you can see. And it's dropped then when there's one minute to go. And then the class flags are dropped, and then the race will begin. Now, all of these things are important signals for the skippers, the captains of the sailboats or the regatta, to be prepared for the start of the race, to be ready, to be in the best possible position to cross the line as the race gets underway. Get it wrong, and they're behind, and they have to go around and recross that line. Well, here in Acts 2, God promises through Joel this time signal in history. And here it is in verse 17 and 18. So pay close attention. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They shall speak forth the word of God. 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. By pouring out his spirit, God would reveal himself in a further way. Joel had promised a time when God would not just deal with a select few. Instead, he dealt directly with all of his people, all believers. And it would be possible by God's Holy Spirit to know him personally and not have to go through a priest, not have to go through a mediator in a special way. Notice that that in verses 17 and 18, this is regardless of age. He talks about the young and the old. It's regardless of gender. Notice he talks about women as well as men. And it's regardless of your class or your status here. The servants or the handmaids or the free. All the people of God will be able to know God fully. And by His Spirit, they'd be able to know His will and be able to declare it. So this prophecy is saying that no, uh, uh, the prophecy is, is knowing the will of God and declaring it. And Joel says that this happens by the coming of the Holy Spirit upon His people. We'll be able to have this, this privilege here. And that means that <clears throat> um, uh, God's gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just for my own personal fulfillment. It's not just for my own self-gratification. It's not just for uh, uh, these ecstatic experiences. But God's Spirit coming upon me is given to serve God. So every person who belongs to God is able to declare God's will and plan and purposes. They'll be able to speak His Word, speak His truth for Him. And this is a great privilege. We know God. When God has saved us, He has brought us into relationship with God. Uh, he has not. He, 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 has, he has given us eternal life that begins right now. He's put the very life of God inside of us. He has made us able to relate to Him in a way that we could not relate to Him before Christ and before the Holy Spirit has entered us. He's, he's made Himself real to us by His Spirit. And there with that comes a great responsibility. The, the job of proclaiming God's plan and who God is in Jesus. And over the past few weeks, we've been reminding ourselves of our core business as a, as a church, that we exist to make disciples. This is Jesus' standing orders. We talked about how, how uh, the, the why we make disciples is so that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of His suffering and, 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 and rescue people from all nations who will be focused on Him for all eternity and give glory to Him. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers and enables us to do. Um, we talked about uh, uh, last week, uh, who, uh, how do we make disciples? We looked at Mark 4, at the parable of the, of the, of the, of the seed that is sown and, and how, it, how it bears fruit little by little. And it's God who gives the increase, but we have the responsibility of, show, of sharing the Word. And it's the Word of God that does the work. And we emphasize that it is through the people of God as they share the Word of God in the power of God through prevailing prayer that God makes disciples. And today we're asking this question, so who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? Well, if it is by the Word of God, and God's Spirit has been poured out so that we can declare forth the Word of God and we know Him through His Word and we share what His Word says... And the answer is, all of God's people, all of God's children, 
the, 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 the story that the kids read this morning talked about how uh, the little kids uh, could even uh, make disciples. Uh, and, uh, but the way it portrayed it is, was, was, well, you can just take them in so other people can tell them. But little kids can make disciples too. Little kids have, have mouths that God has made to speak His truth and speak His Word. Uh, you don't have to bring people to a professional. Guess what? You have the Spirit of God in you. You have His Word. And hopefully at this stage in your life, you have an understanding of the clear Gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can make disciples. All disciples make disciples. That's the point here. And so the Spirit empowers and enables His people to do so. So where are we today in this? Where are we today in this? Well, the time signal's been given, hasn't it? It's been given at Pentecost. When Peter stands up to address the crowds, he says, look, the day Joel was looking forward to has come. The Holy Spirit is upon you. You can hear these men as a sign here declaring the mighty works of God in languages. Well, that's because God's poured out His Spirit on them. And it's possible for anyone and everyone to know God for themselves through His Spirit. To know Him personally. Be able to speak for Him. So if you are a believer here this morning, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a Jesus learner, if you've turned to and trusted to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And therefore you are qualified. You're qualified. He was poured out on the day of Pentecost. He was given from then on to all who believe in Jesus. So we're not waiting We're not waiting like they were in that day for that day. It has come. The flag's been raised. The ball's been dropped. We don't need to wait. What we need to do is act, knowing that God has given us His Holy Spirit. We declare His will and we speak for Him. That's the challenge. We're prepared to be upfront about our faith. Now, um, some of you have met some famous people in your life. You've shaken hands with some famous people. And uh, I've heard some of your stories about some famous people you met. But if you were friends with somebody famous, and maybe there's somebody here who's friends with someone famous, <clears throat> but sooner or later we'd all know about it, wouldn't we? You just can't keep those things to ourselves. We like to name drop. And, but friends, we have been given Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel. And, and we know the Lord Jesus Christ by, by His Spirit. Well, this is, this, is, this is the thing that, 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 that should, should flow out of us here. Um, ministry and disciple making isn't, isn't, isn't our identity. Jesus is our identity. And knowing and loving Jesus, disciple making then flows, overflows from that. If, you, if we look at this task and look at speaking the truth about Jesus and, and, and loving others as something I've got to add on to my life... Or we look at it as something that um, is is something that uh, I don't want to do. Then we need to get back to our relationship with Jesus, because it is the overflow of our life with Jesus. Ministry is not in and of itself our identity. It is what flows out of us because of how we know Jesus and how we love Jesus. So. <clears throat> The benefit of becoming a disciple, a Jesus learner, is this, is you have life been given to you in His Spirit, and this life is found in His Son, John says over and over. So this is the first flag, this is the marker that that Joel gives us. Um, The coming of the Spirit means now is the time to reveal. But also, I'd like you to notice that what he says will also follow in verse 19 and 20. 
And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. There's a warning shot here as well. This is a reminder that there is an urgency because the coming of the Spirit means now is the time for rescue. Now is the time for rescue. Now God has extended His mercy. He's not willing that any should perish, but now was the time for mercy. And make no mistake, Peter says, as he quotes Joel, that God will call the world to accounts. And that's the next thing here on the agenda. We have to be upfront uh, uh, to go, uh, about who God is. And, and we have to be reminded that there will be a terrible day. It will be dreadful. It will be dreadful. Uh, there will be, there will be uh, 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 events that the heavens will shudder at. He looks and you read more about those events in the book of Revelation. But there's an escape route, isn't there? And there comes the task of making disciples and helping people come to Christ and then grow in Christ. Look what he says in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is it that saves people on the day of the Lord? Is it their good lives? Is it their religious acts? Is it their attendance at church? All good things, certainly. Is it their Christian service? No. Is it their years of Bible reading? Is it their prayers for all sorts of of Christian causes or world situations? All wonderful things. But the qualification for deliverance is this. They have called out, they have recognized where they are in light of a holy, majestic God who who has created the world to have relationship with Him, but have turned and rebelled from God and they realize their state and the consequences of that state. And they have called the Lord to save them. And they have dialed Mayday and they declared on their ships that the ship is, de- is sinking and they have, are declaring uh, on the one channel they can go to and that channel is Jesus Christ Mayday, I cannot save myself they have set aside their pride to cry to God to save and rescue them and with that cry comes the life of Christ and that's why we make disciples Joel says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What's that name? Peter said it is Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the promised one. That's the channel that we're going to call Mayday on, Peter says. That's the message that we have. And that's the message that you have been made a disciple from. And now your task here from Acts 2 is you are to speak forth the word of God to others deliberately. So, um, we saw last time that God's people are the agents uh, of disciple-making by faithfully in prayer speaking the truth of the Word of God to others and loving relationships. And not all will have the same kind of gifts or the same responsibility, but we all have the same task together of making disciples. So, what does the Bible say about this prophecy, this, 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 this speaking the Word of God to others? Well, we need to back up and ask a question. Why did God make our mouths? Why did He make our mouths? When He made us in Genesis 1 and 2, why did He give you a mouth? Why did He give you a mouth? Well, He gave you a mouth because there's someone who has ears. I know this is pretty basic, but He gave us a mouth because we are people in relationship. We are people in relationship. Our mouths are to express the heart. Now, originally, that was a really good thing, wasn't it? Because our hearts were in tune with God. Uh, when Adam create, oh, God created Adam, uh, Adam's heart was in tune with God. He walked with God. And, 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 and his mouth, I'm sure, expressed 
the heart uh, and the love for, that he had for God. But we know what happened in Genesis 3. Things got twisted, didn't they? And so now our words express a twisted heart. A twisted heart. Uh, uh, but God in the gospel has given us new hearts. And our mouths are to express our new heart. We're to serve God and others with our words now. We know what sin did to our mouths and to our speaking. Our words, then, when we're saved, should also be changed, right? Our words should be changed too when we're saved by God to praise Jesus. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, We speak forth the excellencies of God through the Gospel. We see this in Scripture. Even in the Old Testament. When God's Spirit comes upon a person, the result is they prophesy. Several of us are reading through 1 Samuel and we're seeing Saul. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him in his early days and he prophesies, he speaks forth the word of God that God has given him to say. Uh, In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Moses says that he wished that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. When God's spirit comes upon someone, they speak forth his word. He looks forward, no, Moses looked forward to a time when, when all of God's people spoke forth the word of God that God had given them to say. He only saw that in a few times. He didn't see that with everybody. He says, I'm look, Numbers 11, you can look it up. He says, I'm looking forward to a day when God's Spirit comes upon all of God's people and they speak forth and prophesy. Joel tells us that's happened. That signal flag has come. In Acts 2, 16-18, the evidence that the crucified Messiah had been risen and the Spirit has brought the, this, this new age of the Messiah uh, is, is, is seen here in, this, in, this, in the filling of the Holy Spirit. That God has, has showered His people to, to speak His truth in loving relationships. Not just the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, but... All we said, we said young and old. We said male and female. We said uh, different uh, statuses uh, of scripture. It's it's like acts is like a, a sneeze. I'm finding a cold this morning, and so I'm not going to shake your hands this morning. But I'm imagine that this cold came from somebody else, probably someone not in this room, probably from my own family. <clears throat> um, but that's how things spread, isn't it? Somebody sneezes, and I'm kind of d- notorious in my house for my sneezes. They're loud, they're abrupt, they're very startling to everybody except for me. And how many of your husbands are like that, ladies? Their sneezes are just the worst. Wow, you guys are you guys are very nice, very kind today. I've heard all kinds of things about my sneezes. <clears throat> my kids hate my sneeze. When I would sneeze as a uh, when when Jace was a little baby, he would cry. He heard my sneeze, just shake him. He would he would cry. <clears throat> But viruses are spread and uh, through through sneezes, through other contacts. And in Acts chapter two, this event here is like the sneeze, and this this good virus of the gospel. Then you're going to start to see and spread out through all of Acts here. God has. Has, has, has sneezed, if I can say that here, and he has, he has poured out his spirit, and, and this, this will spread, and you can see this all throughout, speaking the word of God to others, and you see this reinforced in the, in the letters written to the churches, in fact, Acts 4, 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, when they were all assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
Paul will sit, uh, uh, Luke will record this in Acts chapter eight and verse four. He'll say, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That word preaching isn't like what I'm doing right now. It's actually a word that's used for gossiping, but in a good way. So this little chit chat that was going around was going through the believe, going going from the believers to others, and it was and it was and it was the chit chat of the gospel, the word of God, and it spread the gospel. Of Romans chapter one, eleven and twelve, Paul tells the uh, the church at Rome these things. Now, listen. If you had the Apostle Paul come and teach you this morning, you'd probably be thinking, what can I teach Paul? Probably be, your answer to that question would probably be, I really, I don't think that I could really teach Paul anything. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, 11 and 12. <clears throat> For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul expected to learn from them as well, to be built up in their mutual in their mutual faith. In fact, he takes this concept in Romans fifteen verse fourteen. He says this to the church at Rome, who he has just laid out uh, um, in in, in uh, these fifteen chapters here, uh, the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says this in Romans fifteen fourteen, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That word admonish is is exhortation. It's the idea of speaking the truth of God's Word, to admonish one another. Uh, It's where we get our word today for biblical counseling, euthetic counseling. Uh, It's the idea of taking the Word of God and and, and seeing people built up in the Word of God. And Paul says, you, church at Rome, all of you are able to build each other up in the Word of God. So speaking the Word of truth is something that is expected <clears throat> for all of God's people. Ephesians 4, we're familiar with verse 15 and 16. Paul says, so speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the building up of itself, the edifying of itself in love. It's not just speaking truth, is it? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that's like a sounding gong. It's speaking the truth in love. It is, it is, there's, there's the idea of a self-sacrificial um, uh, thrust to it. Uh, verse, verse 29 of Ephesians 4, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's the bad use of your tongue from, your, from Adam's nature. But he says, But that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Minister grace. That's a speaking the truth in love, isn't it? Serving God's grace out. Colossians chapter 1, look at Paul talk to the Colossians, Colossians 1.28, talking about preaching Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete in Jesus Christ. Now there's a verse for ministry, isn't it? But Paul says, we're warning and we're teaching every man in all 
wisdom. That we are ministering forth the wisdom of the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 Maybe you never thought, thought about this verse as being part of disciple making, but it is. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So there again is a relationship with Jesus. Dwelling. Letting, that word dwell means to let it umpire your life. To, to let it be the, 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 the guardian of your life. To come under it in submission. And he says then, here's the flow, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So again, it's even through song is, is we're to teach Christ. Um, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Here he's particularly talking about um, the, the ministry of the gospel to unbelievers. And he says this, <clears throat> Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest or known as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So he's talking about the Word of God in in Acts 2 again. Sending forth the Word of God. He says in Philippians 2, holding forth the Word of life, right? First <clears throat> um, Thessalonians 4.18 Paul says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So it's word ministry. That specifically was the return of Jesus Christ. Use the Word of God to build to build. Um, chapter 5, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. I think the Word of God has a lot to do with that, though it's not uh, explicit there. <clears throat> then I'd like to look at a couple other passages. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Hebrews 3, 13. But exhort, urge, encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily, urge one another with what? With the truth. The truth. Come alongside with the truth of God. Uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. The gathering of ourselves together is to, is to let us consider one another to provoke to love and the good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So there's, a, there's, a, there's again the use of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. We walked through Corinthians, and so we saw in 1 Corinthians 12 the gifts that God gives. A variety of gifts. Then we saw in chapter 13 the motivation for our gifts. That love must be the motivation of our gifts. The other things will pass away. Love has to be the engine that drives all this. Because that's what, that's what God designed your gifts to do, to serve and self-sacrificial serving uh, to others. And then we saw in chapter 14 there was one gift that the Corinthians were emphasizing, but there was another gift that Paul was emphasizing that he said was important. Do you remember what that was? Prophecy. Prophecy. And in chapter 14 <clears throat> of 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about when you come together, 
When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, a doctrine or teaching, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation. Let all things be done in the edifying. So the point of it is, is that the Word of God is manifest through all these different ways because this is part of what God has given us at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. So, what does the Bible say about speaking the Word of God to others? Well, it says that there's many different ways that we speak the Word of God for salvation or discipleship, and it's expected, isn't it? Among all God's people. And when this is happening, and depending on the Spirit in prayer among a church, the church isn't going to be unhealthy, is it? It's going to grow. Ephesians 4 tells us. What does it look like? What does it look like? Well, some of you might be hearing speaking the truth of the Word of God to each other and the lost, and that can happen in many different ways, but you might think just formal ways, but honestly, there are many ways this happens informally, doesn't it? In our cars, in our travel. Who's in the car with you? Who's going to talk about the Lord? After you hear a sermon, talk about the truth you've heard, right? Instead of the nice spring weather. Or maybe you talk about the nice spring weather and how it's God that gives us these things, right? Or to a neighbor about the gospel and how God has helped you through a specific trial or difficult time in your life. It's meeting with another believer to read the Bible together. It certainly is in group Bible studies together in discussion. Uh, through, your, uh, through, your, through your texting, encouragement to a discouraged person, through a card, etc. These are different forms of speaking the word to others because of our different gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. But the point is, they all have something in common, don't they? Writing letters or notes or emails. Uh, uh, trying to start a relationship with a stranger. <clears throat> conversation. Sitting and giving comfort to a suffering person. Giving wise counsel to one looking for answers. It could be leading a group of people in Bible study and prayer, but it's not relegated to that. And yes, it's singing the truths. Singing the truths of God's Word. It is simply responding in faith and patience to the opportunities and needs that God puts before us. God gives all these different gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 so that the Word is multiplied through our churches in the lost world so that, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, so that we declare to the world that Jesus is our Lord. He's our Lord. And don't underestimate your homes. Your first circle here of disciple making. For the word of God to be multiplied between old and young. Um, uh, Many disciples have been made through the means of sharing meals. Through sharing hospitality. Through then engaging in conversations about what things are important. You say, well, what are the obstacles to to make this happen? Well... The biggest obstacle in our hearts, as we said, if ministry is the overflow of our relationship with Christ, the biggest obstacle is our relationship with Christ. How is that doing? Right? It, it, how, how, how much are we loving Christ? How much are we grasping how much Christ has loved us? Like Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 14-21. That's an obstacle, right? Because we love, what we love, we, we want to talk about, don't we? Right? We love hunting, we want to talk about it. Um, we love, you know, a certain uh, fabric softener, we talk about it. Um, we love a certain model and vehicle of car, we talk about it. Um, we love a Husqvarna or a steel chainsaw, we'll talk about which one's better and why, right? 
I didn't, I didn't know those things when I first came to Maine, and so the way I understood it was if you want a chainsaw to last, you get a steel. If you want a chainsaw to cut wood, you get a Husqvarna. Is that about it? Uh, that's what I was told. So I got a steel. <clears throat> what are the obstacles that happen? Well, some of you might be hearing this and saying, oh, there he goes again. He wants us to just get busier and busier and busier. And actually, that's not true. What I want you to do is I actually want you to step back. And I want you to rethink priorities. I actually want you to slow down. Because I think in our lives, we have become so busy as we pursued a certain lifestyle, or we pursued this, or pursue this activity, that we therefore don't have time anymore to make disciples. And what we really need to do is slow down. Slow down and ask ourselves, what is important? And now how do I reorient my life? Not add another thing. Not add this, not add that. But wait. Let's take a breath here. When was the last time we sat down at a meal and really had a good spiritual conversation? Dads, moms. When was the last time you took your kid, one kid, you took your kid out to lunch and you had a spiritual conversation with them about where their heart is and what the Lord's been teaching you? And you did that more than once a year. Or have you done it? I'm not adding all these things to make you feel guilty. I'm saying we, we are addicted to activity in America. And I don't think the Bible is telling us that we need to add all these different things to our lives. I think the Bible is telling us we need to reprioritize our lives. And put Jesus again where he rightfully belongs. In Jesus' heart. And then all the other things are means to exalt Jesus. Some of us look at our work as the end of why I exist. And no, your work is to simply provide you an honest living so that you can best glorify Jesus. Now, how do you do that? Right? Um, some of us look at roles as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles as this is what defines me. No. What defines you is who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And now I flow my life out of that. And I use the, the age that he's given me the state in life, the season of life, the resources that He give me, I'm going to be a good steward of those things for this very thing to build up the kingdom of God. By God's Spirit. So please don't hear me this morning say, oh, he's saying, you need to be involved in more and more ministries. And I need to add this to my life. And I'm already exhausted. I'm running this. No. We need to take a step back and say, God, what do you want? What do you want? And reprioritize our lives. So who makes disciples? All disciples do. Because that's what the Spirit empowers and enables all His people to do. So where are we in God's great plan? Where are we in time and history? The time signal has been given. The time signal has been given. God has made it possible through Jesus Christ, through the proclamation of who Jesus is, the crucified and risen Messiah, for anyone and everyone to know God through His Word, through the power of His Spirit. To know Him personally. To be able to speak of Him. To be able to speak for Him. So if you are a Jesus learner, you have been given the Holy Spirit and He has given that to us today to make disciples. So who makes disciples? Well, let's work through these um, through these through these questions again. <clears throat> the why we make disciples is so the Lamb of God receives the reward of His suffering for all eternity as worshipers gaze upon His beauty. That's the why. 
to who makes disciples. If it's through the Word of God that we make disciples, and dependence and prayer for the Word of God to do its work, and being intentional about our relationships, then who makes disciples would then fall under this definition in Acts 2 of people who are Spirit-filled believers, who God has poured His Spirit out, who love God, who obey Christ's command and make disciples. That's pretty simple, isn't it? There might be other things you can add. There might be other things you can tweak with that. But that's generally the idea, isn't it? Or Max 2 and what we see in the Old Testament. It's when we're Spirit-filled and we have a relationship with God and the rivers of water of Jesus' life are flowing out of us. And this is going to be one of the things that happens. Isn't it? As we close this morning... I want to remind you why this task exists. I said certainly because the Lamb of so the Lamb of God will receive the reward of his suffering, but let me remind you of what he did for us. There's a man named Bill Deacon in England, or Scotland, excuse me. He lived in a town uh, um, in, in Aberdeenshire, and he worked on a sea air sea rescue helicopter um, operating off the Shetland Islands in Scotland. <clears throat> He was the guy who manned the winch that would bring up the basket to rescue people. In November 1997, there was a cargo ship called the Green Lily that was starting to really flounder. The seas were really rough that day, and, and, and it, was, it was approaching the rocks on the islands of, of Bresci. There was a small crew of about 14 people on board. Most of them were Filipino. The storm was severe, and the waves were so big the lifeboats couldn't get to the ship. So they called the helicopter. Bill Deacon, the guy who runs the winch, he's in the helicopter overhead. He could see that if something wasn't done soon, everyone would be lost, those 14 Filipino sailors. So here's what he did. He lowered himself down through the winch onto the deck of the ship. And rather than lifting each one alongside him, he tied each of the crew, two by two, into the slings and had them winched up in the helicopter. And every single one of the crew was saved. But before he could be winched up, as the last one down there in the boat, a great wave swept over the ship and they found his body washed up on shore uh, three days later. He was given one of um, Britain's high, high uh, awards, the George Cross, <clears throat> which is the highest civilian award available for his self-sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did for us to be rescued and help people, as he's been saying, help people move to the right. Helping each of us move one step. If they're lost, one step closer to the kingdom of the sun. So they have an encounter with Jesus Christ uh, and his work that changes them and transfers them to the kingdom of the sun, as Colossians says. And then also helping those in our walk move one step closer to Jesus. Jesus Christ swapped places with us so we can enjoy what He enjoyed with fellowship with God in heaven. That's why He died. He died to save us, to rescue us. And so here we stand. We stand between the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago and we stand before the coming great day of the Lord. Right? The time signal has been given. That blue Peter 
flag is up. The countdown is ticking. And so while I told you to step back and reprioritize, I also want you to understand the urgency of the time. That God has given a short window before he returns to share his mercy. So that's our calling here. So we're not passengers on a cruise ship dedicated to our own comfort. We're a crew in a lifeboat. We're imitating spiritually what George Deacon did because that's what Christ did, right? We are rescuing others for eternity. We're not hanging out with our arms over in the promenade deck. That day's coming, right? That day's coming. We're going to enjoy that for sure. But right now we have a mission to engage in. And the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 means we are all crew. There are no passengers in Jesus' church. Yes, Jesus is going to carry us through, right? But we are all crew working under the captain here. So will you, by God's grace, pray that God gives you people to invest the truth of Christ in for all eternity? Let's pray. Lord, the song Church Arise talks about reaching out to those in darkness. But there's also a prayer in that song. So Spirit come, put strength in every stride. Lord, that's what we're asking to do. You do. But Lord, we, we want to back up. And we want You to help us gaze upon Christ and see the glories of Jesus. So that we, are in, we, we recognize our union with Him. And then we engage in the task that He's called us to engage in. <clears throat> Lord, You use Your people to send your message in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit to see disciples made and grow. Help us all to find the part that we play in that. And help us not to add your mission to our life, but help us to reorient our lives around your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.